This is a Valerie Moss original podcast. Hey everyone, it's Valerie here. Today's show chained Maggie and my guest, Tamira Tain. She runs a publishing house called Who Chains You and Freedom Chaser Books. This woman fights and advocates for all of the animals, furry critters, even crabs, to have loving homes and freedoms, to not be chained. She focuses mostly on children's books with the spotlight on all animals without jeopardizing any animals. Think lighter reads. This episode touches on cruelty to animals, typically by humans, as we are the ones to blame. The show also brings awareness. It's what I love about Tamira and her cause, her life's work, what she values, and what keeps her up at night. There is some things in this book that might be a little raw for some people regarding saving animals in different organizations, um, protecting animals against cruelty. So just a heads up on that. Have you heard of the word empath? An empathetic is someone who feels more empathy than the average person. They recognize and feel emotion more intently and sooner than most people. Tamara is an empath, and so am I. Just a side note, this interview was originally recorded earlier in 2021. Tamira chose me to produce an audiobook called Reboot Ranch by Eileen Watkins, and it was about a horse rescue business. I fell in love with this book and learned more about Who Chains You Publications and their mission. That's how I met Tamira. Enjoy the show today. Welcome back to Valerie's Variety Podcast with your host, me, Valerie Moss. This show is about eating, reading, and creating. How these three things influence us every day and the people that make this happen. Isn't it you or me or our friends? Nice to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you for coming and doing this. This is so great. You're my first publisher, <laughs> publishing company. Sweet. How long have you been doing podcasts? Well, I'm launching my hundredth episode. Wow. So I've been doing it uh, about three years almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. You it's like fun it? and good. Mm-hmm. Today, I welcome to the show Tamira Thane, author, animal activist, book designer, and founder and former CEO of Dogs Deserve Better. She reached out to me to produce an audiobook, Reboot Ranch, by Eileen Watkins, and I just fell in love with Tamira's purpose to inspire, assist, and entertain animal lovers, activists, and rescuers in the fight for animals. She fits perfectly into my theme of read and create. Think books for animal lovers. 
Think books that tug on your heartstrings and you want to learn more about rescue operations, maybe slaughterhouses, adoption, donating. Welcome to the show, Tamira. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're welcome. So when we got to talking about Eileen's book, you and I got to talking and I'm like awe-inspired about the Who Chains You, basically your whole purpose. Like, how did you get into this? And like, how did the name come about? Tell me how you got into this whole publishing, kind of like a really specific genre. Uh, okay. So I used to be a book designer for a living. I um, got my degree in graphic design and just started, you know, doing design for different houses and really enjoyed book design. So I started doing that Mm. for the most part. And then I wanted to make a difference in the world. And, you know, although I enjoyed the book design, it wasn't fulfilling me. I wanted something more. So that's when I formed the nonprofit working for chain dogs. And that was called dogs deserve better. So I formed that in 2002 and ran it for 13 years at which point in time, I suffered a pretty severe case of burnout and PTSD. So I turned the organization over to other people and just kind of walked away from it. And I spent a little time on the couch, you know, <laughs> a little time in a therapist's office and was just looking for another outlet for um, my desire to help animals. But I just didn't feel like I could be that frontline person anymore. You know, sometimes you can only take so much abuse before you can just keep going back to that. So, so can you just explain a little, like I know a bit about your story, but for our listeners, so what happened when you kind of got into this? dog rescue kind of haven, like what happened that made you change your perspective or change how involved you were? Was there some trauma or was it just too much rawness? There was always a lot of rawness, but there was a lot of purpose too. And it was, it was really beautiful, especially working for chain dogs because they have nothing. They come from nothing. They live on a chain. They spend 24 seven on a chain. And when you see that and you understand the nature of a dog, you know how wrong that is. So there was so much beauty in pulling that dog off the chain and getting him or her house trained, you know, spayed and neutered, completely vetted. They almost always came in with worms and all kinds of physical problems. Um, and then getting them into a new home where they acted like they'd been there their whole lives. You know, they wow. were able to drop every bit of uh, pain and suffering that they had undergone. It was quite inspiring. And I wish I were as uh, able to Resilient. bounce back as these dogs were. Yeah, they just were amazing. And it, it was one of the best feelings, probably the best feeling that I've ever experienced, that part of it. Um, but my nonprofit, we bought Michael Vick's dog fighting compound and we transformed it to a rescue facility for chain dogs. And what happened was it was quite a uh, corrupt county in that uh, the DA there was one of Michael Vick's buddies. And basically they went after us for four years straight. I had to fight all kinds of legal battles 
So on top of trying to get the facility off the ground and get it paid off and everything, um, I had all these legal battles going on. And so when I finally got through that to the other side, I just felt like I had nothing left to give, you know? So not only Mm -hmm. had I had the, um, the trauma of seeing a lot of dog pain and not being able to stop it, but fighting a battle just to really exist on the property that we paid for was, uh, just too much for me to deal with, I think, in the end. So you had this, so you had this operation where you would rescue dogs, but you needed to also find dogs to rescue. So when you went in and you found this operation of you you talk about dogs being chained. And the reason why you say that is because they're either for breeding or for fighting or for um I don't know, like some kind of a poor home conditions where they're just chained up all the time. Yeah, there are and people you go that and, just don't want them living in the house with them for whatever their reason are. So right. you know, some are not being fought or um, bred. bred, but they are just not wanted inside the home. So they chain them outside and just leave them there. And if you know the nature of a dog, they're very needy animals. Very personal. You know, they wanna, yeah, they want to be with people. They want to be with other dogs. And it's really a miserable experience for them. Right. And so you kind of went up against the man, quote unquote, yeah. to <laughs> fight for the purpose of these little furry creatures to give them just a semblance of home and rehome them into a place that wanted them to be with them as part of their families. To have well, that it's mostly the the property that we bought. So because we bought Michael Vick's dog fighting compound, that was what drew the negative attention to us. Hmm. Um, we'd have bought some, you know, just anybody's house in the country. We probably wouldn't have undergone nearly as much pushback as we did. Did you know that you would have that kind of stigma buying this well, place? If I had read, because there were two books written about the dog fighting case. So if I had read those books before I went, I would have known. And I would have probably been wise enough to steer clear of it. Hmm. But I didn't read them until after I bought the property. And then I realized what we were up against and it turned out to be true. Wow. And was there dogs on the property when you purchased it? No, it had been sitting was already for years. Yeah. Wow. So that was just this long legacy of history that you acquired, not even realizing it. Oh, no, we knew we knew what we were buying. We just didn't know that the county would be so against us and what we were trying to do. Yeah, that's a that's a tough go for so long. Yeah. So then you started this who chains you purpose or association? What would you call it? It's, it's just a company. Um, okay. My nonprofit dogs is are better was a nonprofit, but after I left there, I just didn't really want to stay involved in the nonprofit world because it, you have to have a board of directors and there's a lot to it. Right. And I just wanted to do something simple, you know, but mm. my whole thought was how can I still help animals in a simple way that doesn't cause me pain, but hopefully will reach people 
and using the skills I have. And that's, you know, why I came up with this. Right. Wow. That's quite the, that's quite the history of how you got started. Yeah. And you still carried on into this positive role for dogs (laughs) and, and people and authors. And, and with who changed you, we try to help all the animals, you know, we, we're not, we're open to definitely books beyond dog books and beyond cat books. We Mm -hmm. want, we want to feature every animal, you know, and some, some books are more fun loving and some books are more educational. It just depends on the individual book. So we don't really put parameters as long as, you know, our biggest parameters are we want to cause no harm. So is this book, you know, educating? Is it advocating for the animal in some way? Those are our focuses rather than, you know, completely pigeonholing something into it has to be this or that. It just really needs to um, advocate for the animals or educate about them. When you were younger, like how did you get such a passion for saving animals? When you were younger, did you experience something that you thought, you know, this is my calling. I'm going to protect or make a difference? Certainly not when I was younger. When I I grew up on a farm and we Mm -hmm. had a chain dog and her, it was a beagle. Her name was Maggie. And I always pitied her, but I never felt like I had any power to help her because I was just a kid. You know, I was just a kid in the family. And so um, she ended up my brother took her hunting one day and she was not trained to hunt. She didn't know how to hunt. So she ran off and was never seen again. So, you know, who knows what really happened to her, but, you know, as an adult, I can look back at that and say, wow, I really pity her. And we did not do right by her as a family for sure. So I think that that's, you know, one of the reasons that that, uh, cause really resonated with me because of my own childhood experience. Wow. How old were you at the time? I'm going to say we lived on the farm from about 10 to 16. Hmm. So you're old enough to kind of have that. This isn't right feeling yeah. or some guilt. And I was always the animal lover in the family. I mean, right. my parents wouldn't let any of the animals in the house. So I was always out in the barn with the cats and, you know, hang out with the dogs and stuff like that. Right. Just trying to have that connection. Yeah. I or always make... got connected to them for sure. More cats, even more than dogs for me, but. I know I saw, I follow you on um, Facebook and your cats were out frolicking a little bit in the snow. Yeah. Do you guys have a lot of snow there right now? Um, It's mostly melted now. We only got about five inches the other day. How about you? That's a lot of snow. We are having a really big dump right now. Like I think we had four inch, five inches, six inches yesterday or then it's snowing now again. So, but it's, Cold and warm, cold and warm. Yeah. So it's like thawing and freezing, but there's a lot of snow on the ground that's still sticking around. Yeah. But it's going to get down to minus 15 or something like that this weekend. That's Celsius. Wow. So it'll be pretty chilly um, over the weekend. Yeah. 
So what was the first book that started the Who Chains You publication? What was the one that kind of turned that page where you're like, okay, this is what we're going to get into? Well, when I was with Dogs Deserve Better, I had put out books while I was with the nonprofit. So what I did was when I decided to take this venture, I just took them all into second editions Mm. and published them under the publishing company. So the first book I believe was, um, was my book called Foster Doggy Insanity. And it was about, you know, how you can help yourself because fostering animals can be very difficult, especially Mm -hmm. dogs because they're so needy. And, you know, like I said, if they're, if they were chained, they don't know how to live in the house. So it's a lot of training and you kind of feel like it's groundhog day because every new dog you're starting over from scratch. And, uh, a lot of times I find that people who foster a lot of dogs don't take care of themselves, you know, their, their own being their own, um, souls mm, and their physical I needs right. They right. Give it all to the dogs. So that book was about that, um, how you can take care of yourself while you're fostering. So I think that may have been the first book that I took in a second edition. And then the first book that I published new under the company was a children's book um, called It's About a Dog. And it was about a chained dog. It was a book that I had promised the author I would publish it under the nonprofit, but I never got to because of everything that I've been going through. Right. So when I formed this company, I emailed her. It was a real, it's a really good book. And I emailed her and said, Hey, are you still interested? And she said, yeah. So we went ahead and published that was one of the first things. But since then, I mean, we're up to, I don't know, in the neighborhood of 80 books for animal lovers now. So you know, in the past, what has it been? Four or five years. So. Wow. Um, I was interviewing Eileen actually last week Uh and we were talking about, she really, really wanted an animal type of publisher to publish her book. Mm -hmm. And she was so grateful when she found you because you only take a certain amount of books each year to publish because your demand is growing so much. Yeah. And so yeah, and I can't afford to pay anybody yet. So, you know, until right. you pay staff, you're kind of you're working with freelancers, you know, basically what I can do, what freelance artists can do, freelance editors. So I'm kind of um, you know, always scrambling around trying to get the books done. So yeah, last year we put out 25 and that was oh, a lot. Wow. I'm gonna put out that many this year. Wow. Even so, do you think it had to do with COVID year putting out that many? I just overcommitted. I I overcommitted at the beginning of the year Yeah, and uh, not realizing how COVID would affect everyone, including me, because even though we were home, it just, you know, I still work part-time. So I was doing a lot of that and, um, you know, just couldn't, had a hard time getting everything done. I'm still doing the backlog that I had from last year. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of a good thing, but I mean, it has yeah, to, I mean, I really it. enjoy it a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I have a really good editor on hand now that she takes a commission, you know, from each sale. So that's good. So it's good. I have great illustrators and an editor in place. It's just, there's, there's so much that could be done if I could really grow the company, but you know, you gotta, you gotta only have so much time.
if you had your ideal infrastructure in place, what would be your top top two or three things that you would want to implement? Definitely marketing. You know, marketing is so difficult and it's so time consuming. And if, if so we had one person, you know, I'm, I'm definitely thinking of trying to get an internship program going this year, because that way you can at least get some social media help going, you mm-hmm. know, with mm-hmm. interns who want to do editing or want to do illustration or, you know, something like that, then they can edit and do social marketing as well. So, you know, there's, there are things that just one person can't do at all. Right. And until, until I get some people in place, it's going to be an uphill struggle, I think. Yeah. I mean, if it's whatever is working now, won't get you to the next spot. But if it's something that's manageable that, you know, you're not pulling your hair out and you're still enjoying the process, then that's positive too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I do, I do very much enjoy what we're doing. I just want to do it better. You know, I I guess most small company owners feel the same way. They do. Yeah, exactly. Do you read all the books that you publish? Yeah, because, well, I used to edit them all, but now that I have an editor, but I almost always, if it's an adult fiction book, I definitely, I send it to my Kindle and I read it at night. Hmm. you know, for a few nights until I finish it um, before making a decision if it's a book that I want to bring in. Do you have a certain criteria that these authors need to meet to fit into the mold of Who Chains You? Um, Or is it kind of based on feel or? Yeah, I mean, I do a lot of children's books. So, you know, those are a fast read. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can tell right away within, you know, 10 minutes, whether you want to publish that book or not. But Mm -hmm. adult books are more challenging because you want to make sure that it puts out a good message and is entertaining, you know, and doesn't cause any harm. And I think that that's kind of one of my big things, because even if we do say we do a book that's more focused on dogs or cats, I try not to harm other animals in the telling of that book. So, you know, there are times with authors Mm. off to be like, okay, we need to modify this and this. Are you willing to do that? That kind of a thing, because Mm -hmm. I just want to advocate for them all, or at least not have this one killing this one for the sake of the story. You know what I mean? I got, yeah. So it can be challenging. So that is a bit of criteria that you have to kind of thumb through and make sure you understand the focus or the goal of the the story. Wow. That's a lot more in depth than I was thinking it would be. Becoming, I mean, as an outsider, I look at the vast different books that you have on your Who Chains You website. And some of them are like, I mean, judge a book by its cover. It's all I'm doing here. But yeah. some of them just look like an easy read. Yeah. Who, who would think that it would be um, inflicting pain on another animal for the better of the story? Like, I wouldn't even yeah. guess that part. So that's a pretty morally challenging position to be in when you want. Well, because every book has to have conflict to have a story. Right. I mean, really, even if the conflict is between 
you and a mental illness or something, you know what I mean? Mm. But there's always some kind of conflict. There's always some kind of um, one thing against another. So mm-hmm. sometimes it is one. I mean, in reality, that happens a lot, you know, one right. animal against another. And that does happen in a lot of our fiction books. Like even my own, I have a fiction series that's based on shapeshifters and, you know, they mm. they shift into different animals and those animals do fight. You know, so it's, it's never going to be a hundred percent, but I, I just don't like to see basically one animal, you know, being a victim. Yeah, exactly. It is something to think about with any of our books, but I mean, a lot of them are lighter reads. Um, We have an author, Laura Kerber, who um, she writes kind of fairy shifter kind of, Hmm. fiction as well um and her her books are often kind of heavy because they take on a downtrodden aspect of society people you know more than animals even so her books like may not be really focused on animals but they bring up very important points I think a lot of times that are subtle you know and they're Mm -hmm. still entertaining make you reflect yeah Yeah. I see Do you have a favorite book in your repertoire that has kind of lingered with you or changed you in some way? Of the books we put out, um, that's not my own, of course, because every author has a love-hate relationship with their own work. Right, of course. We have hate our work and we have love our work, but one of Laura Kerber's books uh, is called Limbo, and it's about a girl who passes away. I forget how she passes away, but she finds herself in limbo. It's almost like a purgatory mm-hmm. where the animals seem much happier than the humans. And it's a really kind of a light book, but it, for some reason it's so deep underneath it all hmm. that it has stayed with me. And we put her this book out maybe three, four years ago, but it still stayed with me all this time. Like, I don't know. It's my favorite book of hers because it's a lot of her books are kind of, um, you know, more like Seinfeld, like a book about nothing. Like they don't have a ton of action, but the story, they still get really good reviews on like, um, you know, some of the, some of the review sites that are difficult, more difficult to get good reviews on hers typically get good reviews on. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I like a book that lingers for a while. It makes you yeah, kind of that reflect book and for me. And then she also wrote a book about um, the Olympic Animal Sanctuary, which was a this is a true story, not a fiction, but um, it was a at the towards the end of my work with dogs is there better I flew out there because it was in Washington state. And this guy had 125 dogs in crates in a warehouse and they lived in those crates 24 seven, never left. Yeah. It was a nightmare. And one of our reps had given a dog to him because he was very, he, he made everybody believe that he was this great dog trainer. So people were giving him dogs that, um, 
were problems, you know, that had mm-hmm. fight history or some kind of thing that made them more difficult for our rescue. So all these rescues were giving him these dogs that he promised to rehabilitate and train. And he was just stashing them in this warehouse. Oh my God. Yeah. This is so, so once, awful. Once we figured that out, I flew out there and a lot of people got involved, a lot of groups and the long and short of it was we finally we finally pushed him so hard that he packed all those dogs in a semi and drove away with them. And another group um, talked him into meeting him, meeting them in the desert and giving them these dogs. So, I mean, it was a really dramatic story and nobody was writing the book and she had just had like a peripheral you know, view of it. She lives in the area and she actually came out there to protest one day with us. And I think according to her, like when she got there, nobody was there. Cause I ended up getting arrested for um, protesting oh in violation of the restraining order. So I ended up not even being allowed to protest there a lot of days because of that. But she wrote the book about that and it's really good. And what is that one called? It's called, um, I once was lost, but now I'm found Daisy and the Olympic animal sanctuary rescue. It's on our website. And of course I like my book. It went to the dogs. It's about buying Vic's property. Um, Mm -hmm. it's a similar, similar vein to Laura's book. Um, about buying Michael Vick's property and transforming it and everything that happened there. So those are our two, I feel, most compelling nonfiction books mm-hmm. for adults. And then we've got quite a few uh, good fiction books, in my opinion. Um, Eileen's is one of them, mm-hmm. you know, Reboot Ranch. That's a really good book with the horses and the horse rescue. Yeah. And you actually did a fantastic job of narrating that. Thank you. I had a few hard times in that book with some of the, the rawness about the rescuing of Valentine and Dash and Starbuck. And I absolutely loved that story so much. Yes. And just the way that she gave and I'm sure you do this as well. Like just gave those animals, these personalities that mm-hmm. made you fall in love with them, made you root for them, made you, yeah. you know, do whatever you could do to help them. And I, when yeah. I interviewed her, she just spoke so highly about your publication and what you do. And you and I had already been kind of talking about doing an interview and I had done more research on you between our interview and, and prior to her, her timing, just to figure out, like, it's just in your being, Tamara, like you just have the cell part of you that it's like an oath that you want to help these people tell their stories about protection and Mm -hmm. helping rescue and, making sure that animals have a voice. Like, I think it's just so honorable what you do. And I love that. (laughs) 
that you have this platform that people can go to and tell their stories because they're kind of like this small little niche market. Yeah. That it's a very, I mean, there's a lot of dog lovers out there, mm-hmm. but you're also highlighting cat lovers and horse lovers and yeah. fox lovers and every gamut, I guess, of the animal world that needs a voice. Exactly. And that, you know, that is actually a bit of a challenge because there are a lot of um, people who may love dogs, but they don't think of other animals in the same way. Right. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, it becomes a little bit of a challenge reaching all of the animal lovers and putting them all under one tent. But I think I just never wanted to reject any animal from the tent. You know what I mean? They should all get a voice under there. And uh, so that's what I strive to do. And we have books that are just for dog lovers. And we have books that are just for vegans or not just for, but you know what I mean? They're, Mm. those are more of a Oh, I never thought of vegans. Of course. They would be a huge advocate. So list off some of the more unique stories or animals featured in some of the stories that you have. Uh, Well, I did a book this year or in 2020 on um, hermit crabs, because that's something that I've always been very interested in. My daughter came home from the beach one year with a hermit crab and one of those little, they get they give you, you buy a little tiny cage for like $12 and you get a free hermit crab. Well, it's terrible because those are not sufficient for a hermit crab. And turns out that hermit crabs don't want to be alone, even though their name has hermit in it. Mm -hmm. So I ended up, you know, I think her first one like died or something. And then I was like, oh my God, what is happening here? And so I have to start researching, you know, Mm -hmm. finding out that this is just a horrible thing that happens. I mean, these hermit crabs basically get stolen from their Caribbean homes and, you know, flown to the States, I guess, and then put in all these um, stores along the beach and they don't survive because they don't have anything they need. They need, they have very specific the ocean. They need, yeah. And they have to molt, they have to dig down in dirt and molt and, you know, all these things. Hmm. And uh, so that ended up being one of my pet peeves because I was like, oh, my God. And then th- I found a group that does hermit crab, you mm. know, that advocates for them. So I kind of highlighted them in that book. Another girl uh, loves um, snails and she mm. she's actually one of my illustrators and she just loves snails so much. So she did a book on snails and it's adorable, like the snail, you know, getting out so those are a couple of the more unusual things that you don't. Those are really see. unusual. Yeah. yeah typically don't see uh, children's books about. We just had another author uh, in the past year do a book about coyotes. Um, Claire's Coyote Friends is called. And I saw she, that one on. Yeah. I think I saw that one on your website. Yeah. So she, you know, she lives on a golf course and she thinks she hears dogs, but it's actually coyotes living on the golf course too. And, you know, she wants to befriend them, but her father teaches her that that's not, you know, it's not what you do with coyotes. And so Mm -hmm. it's kind of um, her learning to love them from afar kind of a thing. And so it's a really Mm -hmm. cute book. Um, 
but it also educates about coyotes and what what we need to do for them. So, you know, we really try, like this year, I'm trying to not take hardly any dog or cat books because I have quite a few because that's what people love. That's, that's pretty people, common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People write mm-hmm. more about them than anything else, but we want to feature different animals and we want to have choices for people who may want to advocate for a different animal for whatever reason, just because they like it. Uh, we have the one coming out next week is about sloth bears. So oh. yeah. And that's really cool. I mean, it's, it's, um, kind of in conjunction with wildlife SOS in India, which is a nonprofit over there that put a stop to this uh, dancing bear. Apparently people used to take the sloth bears and make them dance. Right. Chain them and everything. So they've ended up being able to put a stop to most of that. So that's really an awesome thing that a lot of people don't know about. I didn't know about it before I read the book. Wow. Those are very good examples of a different animal that just needs to have some focus light put on it and seeing where they come from. I never thought of hermit crabs, but I can see being in Mexico, Mm -hmm. the distortion of you know, how to get Canadian money or U.S. money into their economy and whatever it takes. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Has there been any book that has had more of an impact than you thought it would have when you took it into your Actually, yeah. Um, one is an earlier book that we did, um, for a series with an author named Heather Lumeyer. And her first book in the series was called Adopting Adele. And it's about a little white rat that ended up in the shelter and was hoping for a home. And that book has done like really well. I think there's a lot more rat aficionados out there than one would have expected. So, uh, people love rats. Yeah, I mean, I've had they're people. so affectionate and make yeah. great pets, but they have yeah. very short lifespans. Yes, because Heather does rat rescue, and I'm always seeing her saying goodbye to the next one. I'm like, oh my god, I don't think I could stand it, you know. But they, I guess, they have great personalities, and uh, that book has really struck a chord with a lot of people. Hmm. I asked her to do a follow up, as a matter of fact. <laughs> oh, that's so neat. Well, I have an old cat. So my cat is 20 this year. Oh, wow. That is and old. we rescued her from the SPCA or the Humane Society mm-hmm. when she was like four or five weeks old, oh. like just tiny. Oh, nice. And usually she's sitting in here with me, but she's not tonight. But yeah, she'll be 20. And she's kind of losing her hearing a little bit. And she meows super loud. Yeah. But they just have this spot that they make on your person. Absolutely. That's just like this connection mm-hmm. that is so different than anything else that you ever can come upon. Even yeah. like your reaction to this little hermit crab and like, they don't want to be in these little no. glass cases. They yeah. want to and they can't be returned to the wild. So pretty much your only choice with them is to build them the best existence you can in captivity. Mm. And that's sad. You know, they deserve to not be stolen from their homes in the wild to begin with. 
Right. Exactly. How do you go through all of these books and learn all this hardship or trauma or, I mean, some of it is kind stories as well. Mm-hmm. Does it take a toll on you or do you kind of know that it's for the better part of the world and there's a message in it? Like, how do you live with the kind of that heaviness on these books. I feel like the books help with that because having been in active rescue for 13 years, that's where you really find the heavy. Hmm. Where some days you don't want to get out of bed because it's too painful to deal with, you know, because there could be a dog on the chain and we can't get help for that dog and no one will help us and no one will let us help that dog. And that dog festers in your mind, you know, it's sitting out there. Oh, I just hate that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That really weighs on me. Yeah. So, but the books, I mean, I personally don't like putting out a book that doesn't have a happy ending or at least approaching a happy ending. So our children's books, they're always overcoming, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever the problem is for that happy ending. And so almost for me, the books are cathartic because they, they get to make happen what doesn't always happen in real life. So I find that powerful and empowering. So one of the stories in Eileen's book, Reboot Ranch, is the story about the starfish. Mm-hmm. Do you remember this? I can't even tell the story without tearing up because it's just so perfect. But the short of it is for the listeners is all these starfish, thousands and thousands of starfish washed, washed up on the beach. And this little boy was walking along the beach and he was picking up a starfish and throwing it back into the ocean. And this man comes along and he's like, son, son, like this is futile. You'll never... You'll never like figure this out. It'll take you forever. And we'll make a difference. And he says, well, it made a difference to that one. <laughs> exactly. Right. It made a difference to just that one. Those two or the 10 that he threw back in. And that's I, pretty much the slogan of rescue. You know, I feel like all rescuers feel that way. You know, okay. I may have helped, you know, myself, I may have helped 3000 chain dogs, but at least those 3000 got help. They got a home. There's still thousands more out there. Right. So I think every rescuer has that feeling. They live with knowing that there's still so many that need help, but they also take joy and comfort in the ones that they are helping. Yeah. They can get some sense of peace or satisfaction or calmness. Yeah. Knowing that they've helped one. Who's your audience? So we've talked about this a little bit on, you have a lot of children's books and that's kind of like more your focus for who changed you publications. Would that be accurate? I'm not sure. I mean, it's kind of happened to be that way. And, and Mm. I mean, I think it's important to reach the children, you know, and I, I want to give 
people tools and to reach the children because not all children's books that are about animals really educate or advocate for right. the animals. Okay. So, you know, I do want to provide that. I actually really enjoy reading myself though. So I would like to do more adult books. I just find them a lot more time consuming hmm. because they, you know, they need to be read of course first and chosen. And then they've got, there's a lot of editing work that needs to be done. So they can just be a little bit more challenging than a child. So are you, would you be interested in um, volunteer editors or volunteer readers to assist with some of this? Sure. Yeah. I okay. Mean, I would love. I would love to have people that are, you know, even beta readers who can say, okay, well, I like this and I didn't like this because those are always helpful. You know, mm-hmm. you get, when it's your book or or your publishing company's book, sometimes you're too close to it. You know, you need someone who has a little bit of just the other side of it who can tell you, oh, I like this, but I didn't like that, and then you can think about how you want to revise. Hmm. Well, that's something that, you know, people listening to this and kind of people in um, my network of producing books and producing podcasts so we can reach out to people and, and say, you know, if you're interested in being a beta reader, or if you're interested in um, helping out this cause, then we can, you know, plug you and put some, some marketing out there for yeah, that. Because people who narrate audiobooks like in my world, they love to read. Yeah. So they could be narrating a book, but reading something completely different. Yeah. And that's, that's me. Like I actually love, I mean, I'm a voracious reader, so I love to read anyways, never mind reading for the purpose of producing Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, maybe we can get a couple of people that might be interested in reading for you or editing. Awesome. The books that you write, are they always in the same vein or do you write other books as well? No, unfortunately, I tend to go around and they say that's not good if you really want to build an audience. But like I have a children's series that's for about age eight and up. And I think I have four books in that now or five. And I have like two more in my head for that that I just haven't gotten on paper yet. Hmm. And um, so that's a series called the Animal Protectors series. And what I like about that is I'm, I do have one cat book in there, but the rest of them are a horse and a calf and um, the hermit crabs. Mm-hmm. And what's the other one? Oh, pigeons, because they are mm. often stolen and used for pigeon shoots. So mm. I, I take animals that, you know, pretty much are looked down upon maybe. And uh, I like the animals. So in my, in the series, I like the animals to, they're fighting to get their own freedom. They're always, you know, captured in some way Hmm. and used by humans. And then they're fighting to get their own freedom, but then always a human comes along and helps them too. So I'm trying to, I like that interplay, you know, where the animal is trying not to be a victim. They're trying to um, free themselves from whatever be resourceful or yeah. figure out a 
yeah. path. But then they're always helped by a human too. So that's why it's called the animal protector series where a human actually does come in. And, and I, I don't know, I think it's so important to think about the positive side, because you can get really burned out on humans who don't care about animals, but there are so many that do care about animals. And I like to feature that aspect in the books. So it brings in a positive, you know, something positive. So out of the people who are kind of harming animals or chaining dogs or the, all of these negatives, mm-hmm. would you say that, cause my daughter always asked me this mom, those people are so mean. And I always say to her, most people are good. There's a small percentage of people that do things that are unkind would you say that's the same thing in your world of animal advocacy? Or would you say that most people, they are maybe more turn a blind eye. They don't want to get involved. It's too much hassle. It's too heavy. It's too raw. I think that it runs the gamut. I think, you know, it's like a spectrum, like everything. So on this side, you have the people that are actually cruel, deliberately cruel to animals. And then over here, you have the people that are actively helping animals all the time. And then you have all these people in the middle of those two things, you know, the gray area in between uh, where some are just indifferent. Some don't know any better. They aren't deliberately being cruel, but they don't know how to do it better and they don't take the time to learn. And then you have the people that just turn up, you know, they, they take care of their own dog and cat, but they turn a blind eye to any other, you know, cruelty that's going on around them. Hmm. So, and then there are people that, you know, help dogs and cats, but don't think much about the other animals. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's really a spectrum from one side to all the way to the other. You can't see what Tamara's doing, but she's really using her hands a lot to show <laughs> a broad area of this gamut of people she's she's <laughs> trying to explain to us. Because I think it is. I think life is a spectrum. And somebody yeah. like you, where you kind of, you want to dig in like a harmless thing. I'm using quote unquote harmless. Your daughter brings home this hermit crab. Mm-hmm. and no one's the wiser. And then you're like, Hmm, like this doesn't really make sense. Like a hermit crab doesn't belong in this cage. And then you start to kind of dig into it further and really understand how bad this is. And it's something you don't know until you start reading and you don't know. Like, I can't believe this is what's happening here. Like one thing that beaches, you know, right. All all the beach stores up and down the coast just are selling these hermit crabs. And it's like, oh my God, once you know, you can't go back and that can't unknow it. No, you can't. It's like on your mind, but you can't. So about 20 years ago, I was on my honeymoon. And we were in Mexico and my husband and I were sitting and we're watching the sun going down. And all of a sudden these men, they go running by us and they're kind of in these green uniforms. It's dark because the sun had just gone down. They go running by us and they go running up the beach. What the heck? And they have these 
five gallon pails in each hand and they're going running up the beach. So we're kind of sitting there like, what, what was that about? Then about, I don't know, an hour later, they come back and I say to them, senor, senor, like what's in the, what's in the pail? And turtles. Oh, I man. said, turtles. Yeah, we're rescuing the turtles. We put them in the sanctuaries. And so there's these big metal enclosures along the beach. And there's these turtle sanctuary places in there because I guess what happens on the beach is the ocean comes and crashes in and suppresses Mm -hmm. their homes because Mm -hmm. they put their homes along the beach or nests or whatever. And so here they're rescuing the turtles. I don't know if I, they say the word rescuing, but I'm not exactly sure. I was going to say, I'm not sure that was rescuing. Yeah, I don't know. And then they put them in these places and they're not really like, it's not really like an exhibition where you can see the turtles. They're Mm -hmm. kind of like a chain link fence enclosure where the turtles sort of are, but you can't really tell that they're in there. Mm-hmm. But that always sat with me. I'm thinking like the turtles don't need to be rescued by some Mexicans, <laughs> right? Like this is where they live. But then I mean, yeah, it's always be, sat with me. I would be suspicious of that story as well. Mm-hmm. And actually many times when we would go up to a dog on a chain, the people would tell us that they rescued that dog. And we're like, well, now we got to rescue it from you. <laughs> you know? So I think that that's pretty common. You know, do you think they really believe that? Do you think I they're think saying that just- out loud? It's the justification. I don't, right. think, I don't think that, I don't know if they're being honest. I don't think that they, they have to know that that's not true, but they may convince themselves of it. I don't know. Yeah, I I don't know either. I get so I'm an empath. Mm-hmm. So all of this you are too, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And so all of this this stuff weighs on me. Mm-hmm. And I just and yeah. it like you you can just go down a really dark place a, because you can't a, fix it. Yes. So if you think of this Very story It is. And when I had my daughter, I'd be like, you know, in a store shopping or getting groceries and there would be another parent there not being very kind to their little small person. Mm -hmm. And that would just sit with me, would all sit with me. So, and then someone told me one time, like, if you can do your very best for your little world, Mm -hmm. just like that boy was rescuing the starfish, like you make it difference to that one person, at least it gives you some hope, right? Yeah. Or gives you some sense of accomplishment or satisfaction or calmness, any of that. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, and I almost feel that sometimes due to our pain, we shut ourselves off from that. You know, I know that I've struggled with that a lot because you undergo a certain amount of trauma and then you just kind of shut down, you know, and you can't take anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a struggle to come back from that place because you know that you need to open back up. You know that you need to 
get back in the world and, you know, go help an animal again, but it's almost like this need to protect yourself, you know, from any more pain that becomes almost a wall you can't climb over sometimes. Yeah. And I think you have to be careful too, because if you, like how you were describing some of those, those people who have these rescue dogs and they just don't take care of themselves anymore. Mm-hmm. Yes. That happens right. Then you. that can. So if you are going to go down that rabbit hole or that mm-hmm. rescue journey, you mm-hmm. have to make sure you can protect yourself yes. too, because you get spread too thin. And then how do you come back from that? And that's how, you know, that's really how hoarders are born and rescued. I was thinking about that when you were yeah, saying. that happens too, because they can't, they keep, they get the high because it is a high. It's a high when you rescue an animal, but then there's so much work. So you just start, you know, piling on the dogs and cats or whatever. You can get yourself in a major problems quite quickly if you don't do something about it. You have to set limits. You have to figure out boundaries, limits that I can handle personally, as far as rescuing goes. And you got to stick to those limits because there'll always be another dog that needs help. And Mm -hmm. what happens is these people go on these groups, Facebook or whatever, and they're just pummeled with need and they just, they get that high or they may get a few dollars in donations so they want the more money coming in and uh, it can just, it gets kind of skewed. Yes. Yeah. So they still think they're doing good somehow, but in the end they're harming the animals because they're taking on more than they can handle. Wow. You sure sheds a lot of light on this subject, Tamira. <laughs> I guess we weren't so light after all, were we? <laughs> no, but you know what? It's okay because people who are listening will, you know, just reflect, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe they'll choose to adopt instead of go to a breeder or choose to rescue instead of yeah, things absolutely. like that. When I left active rescue, I made a pledge to foster once a year and I've pretty much held up to that mm-hmm. every year. I've, I've mostly fostered cats because they're easier than dogs, but right. Um, Every year since then, I've fostered, you know, or adopted an animal. So people can do that, you know, do one a year, uh, foster one animal a year and just help that little much because that takes a load off of those who are actively doing it 24-7. It helps them carry their load a little bit better. And are you a huge believer in spade and neuter animals? Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure, sure, right? I, yeah, I mean, I feel that it should be pretty important until we get population really under control. And then, you know, then maybe we do um, a lot, a lot um, more controlled breeding because obviously you don't want to get, I don't feel anyway, I don't feel that we as a society want to get to the point where we don't have any pets. I mean, we love our cats and dogs and whatever other animals we like. It's just, we don't want the overpopulation that's, you know, happened. So there, there needs to be a happy medium between those two things where we all can have those animals in our lives to enrich us and provide us love and, you know, Mm -hmm. happiness, but we're not overwhelmed with all the need.
what would be, I think you've answered this already, but maybe in a different way, what would be one piece of advice for somebody looking to support a rescue operation or a charity or, um, but is there any, is there anything that you could suggest or reflect you on? Decide, you want to decide what you can do. So, you know, do you just, because every animal charity I know is hurting for money, except for maybe the really big guys, but mm-hmm. the little local animal charities are always hurting for money. They appreciate your donation so much. So, you know, to me, if you just want to give, but you don't want to give of your time, give mm-hmm. some money to, and I would go to a local organization, you know, check their website, um, talk to them in person. So you feel good about it because there are some like that guy in, you know, Olympia, Washington, right. who was basically fleecing people. Um, so you don't want that, but I mean, there's so many very reputable local rescues that just need funds. So um, definitely giving of money, but if you have time to give, I would foster one animal for one local organization, Mm. you know, foster a cat or a dog or whatever it is that you like and just see how you like it. And a lot of times you end up adopting them because you fall in love with them, but that's okay because then they still get a home. They still get a home. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it depends on what level and sometimes dipping your toe in then you find your passion. And, you know, most, especially the little nonprofits are like the smaller companies like me, they, they have one or two people doing all the work. Right. Good at a certain thing. So you're good at bookkeeping, you know, Mm -hmm. that's a huge need that most nonprofits need. Oh, interesting. Okay. So there are, yeah. So there are, you know, many ways that you can get involved. Like I had a treasurer with my nonprofit for years. She was all a volunteer and she was amazing. She's mm-hmm. still one of my best friends today, but she did so much work, all volunteer for us while she was a CPA doing her normal, but that was what she was good at. Right. You know? Right. And she felt passionate about the mission, but she used her talents to give us what we needed. Graphic designers are so important for small nonprofits. You know, if you can design or you can write, they need that. Because right. they're so busy. They're so busy rescuing the animals. Yeah, their focus is in a different area. Yeah. So I always let my guests ask me one question. Do you have any questions for me? Or my maybe biggest one. question for you, and this is a curiosity thing. Okay. How do you narrate books? <laughs> because like, even when I read just a little bit, like my, you know, I'm tongue tied, I'm falling over my words. So like, is this something that you learn or you just are good at it? You know what I'm saying? Uh, book so, okay. So a couple of things, reading in your head. Reading Mm -hmm. to yourself is completely different than reading out loud. Mm -hmm. And in our world of being a producer, we get lots of people that say, I love to read. I read to my classes. I'm a teacher. I read to my kids every night. They say I'm a good reader. That's completely different. There's nothing the same about that when you go to produce a book. Yeah. Um, And if you... So one of the things when you first start out is people say to you, if you want to be a producer, you need to sit and talk out loud, read out loud, 
for two hours straight. Wow. Every day for two weeks. And if you can do that, then you can tough it out to actually get in the industry. Mm-hmm. If you can't commit to that, mm-hmm. you're never going to make it. Because <laughs> it's so hard. You're all alone. Oh, yeah. You sit in like, the studio. So if, like when you did our book. when mm-hmm. we, um, Do you have the pages in front of you? Or are they on a computer screen? Everything's electronic. You don't want any paper because everything yeah. makes yeah. noise. You have it up on a screen. and mm-hmm. you're just, Yeah. Okay. So I use my iPad and then... You go through, so you read everything once or twice, depending. Usually you read it once, like a story to yourself. So you understand the yeah. all the people and all the characters and the kind of the feel and the theme of the story. Mm-hmm. And then you highlight characters. So I highlight um, in different colors, all the characters, and I might give them a visual mm-hmm. to see like yeah. how I would how would I would do a voice for that particular one, or maybe if it's a young kid or maybe they're shy or um, like Clint in reboot ranch, he had like a, he, he had a shorter leg because of an injury on a horse. So he had kind of like, there's a character there. So you kind of got to think about that. And then what I do is I use my voice recorder in my phone and I set up my characters in there. So when I switch between characters, I can go back to my voice recordings and get my head into that character. Wow. It's really involved. It can be very involved. Yeah. Um, I commend and then, you that. I don't think I could do it. I've thought, oh, I should narrate my own books. And then I was like, I just don't think it's me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I it's certain skill set that somebody has to be able to do that. And lots of people don't like the sound of their voices. Mm-hmm. So even if they want to get into production or producing audiobooks, they have this whole giant ego thing to get over yeah. with the sound of their voice. Sure. So that's a hard one too. Yeah. Um but I like about it is to me it's very meditative. Mhm. So I sit, this is actually my studio that I sit in and I sit in here and I get into my book and I'm just me and the words. And I find it very cathartic and very therapeutic and yeah, meditative. And I love it. And how much time do you spend like in a day doing it? Um, like taking a book and you're really getting into it. How much time will you spend? This is my side hustle. So I actually Mm -hmm. work full time. So on the weekends, I record about maybe two to three hours a day on the weekends. During the week, I'll record in one hour sessions Mm -hmm. a couple of times a week. So, Mm -hmm. um, they say it's about three to one. So if you have a three-hour book, which is approximately 30,000 words, mm-hmm. it's nine hours wow. to record, edit, yeah. and master. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When I did Eileen's book through your company, I was like, I want to do more of those mm-hmm. because I felt like the story was so valuable to tell. Yeah. Yeah. And was so important to tell. Yeah. And I read it. it. Yeah. You get it. You feel the same way about it. You, 
it matters. And even if it's, you know, just in telling a story, it still matters and it can still make a difference. It does matter. Mm-hmm. And there's so much about that story, even though they were rescuing horses, but she talked about, you know, the slaughterhouses. Mm-hmm. She talked about the holding areas before yeah. they went to slaughter. She, I mean, it just brought light on all these things that common people, like we just wouldn't know if we didn't know, you don't know what you don't know. Absolutely. Like we wouldn't yeah. be able to even wager a guess and like, I didn't know that Canada had slaughterhouses and the U.S. doesn't. So you guys ship all of your animals up here to us. Awful. Like that's terrible. I know. And during COVID, which we're still in, um, we had the coronavirus go through some of our meat packing. Mm -hmm. Here too. Farms. And then they had to shut the plants down because coronavirus went through them. So then there was all this cattle. Like it just really brought light to it. Like 80% of the cattle in Canada gets butchered here in Calgary, like where I live Wow! in these giant feedlots and these giant holding lots where they process like thousands of heads at a time. Like, Yeah. And they all come from across Canada. Like it just really brought light to that in the same time I was reading Eileen's book and Mm -hmm. all of this stuff was just, I never knew. Yeah. And now I knew, and now I know so much more than I need to know because it's so sad. And yeah. And it really just, I mean, adulting like it really makes you be an adult and reflect on you know I don't know if you're a meat eater or a vegan or whatever but even just taking your overall diet Mm -hmm. if you're just a consumer and you eat your your meat every day of the week like most consumers do and just one day of the week you choose not to eat meat yeah that has a giant impact on the world. Yes. That one day, that one meal. And that's what I think too. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to be the perfect vegan or the perfect person, but you can make steps. You know, Mm -hmm. you can do one small thing or two small things a week that at least help a little bit, you know, and these things can add up. Right. And if everybody just did it once a week, or one meal they chose not to, like it has a huge impact. Exactly. So what's next for you or who chains you? Is there anything in closing you want to share? Uh, We will continue. You know, I don't have any plans to stop. So even if I'm just doing a little bit here and there, um, we will continue check out our website at whochangeyou.com to see uh, we have a blog you can subscribe to and a Facebook page and, you know, Twitter and Instagram and oh, wow. all those things. But um, we'll just keep, keep stirring the pot. You know, we've got the Sloth Bear book coming out and then we're doing mm. a, uh, I'm doing a nonfiction after that about 
that's highlighting um, two different men. One was an environmentalist and the other is still, the one has passed away, um, but the other one is still an animal activist and they do a lot of work and a lot of good in uh, rodeos and um, pigeon shoots and things like that. So that this book is highlighting those two men. So that's kind of interesting because I haven't done one of these yet where it's actually a biography of two different men. So, so I have not done I that. need to I need to ask you what is a pigeon shoot? Where they so they'll like go and they'll gather up a bunch of pigeons say from New York City streets and they'll mm. basically kidnap them and take them to Pennsylvania where these hunt clubs have pigeon shoots and they just take all these pigeons and throw them up in the air and people shoot them. Yeah. And then any that's still alive, they kill them afterwards. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's beyond cruel. And unfortunately all these years, Pennsylvania has failed to um, make it illegal. So it's been a battle for as long as I can remember 20 some years they've been hmm. fighting over this. So, you know, it's, and it's not just Pennsylvania. There are other places that it's happening as well, but this group um, called shark, they do a lot of work. They, they fly drones over and they get footage of it and they publicize it. Um, how is, before we close, how is coronavirus where you live? How is it impacting your world? Well, I have not done a booth for the company. So I try to do, you know, at least four or five booths every year, just shows the public and yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. at little local fairs or whatever um, um, events. And I try to do at least five a year. They're not my favorite things because I'm kind of shy and introverted, but I didn't do a single one last year. So, you know, that's, it, it impacts every, especially the smaller companies, you know, you mm-hmm. think oh, people read more, but I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure that people did read more. At least they didn't read our books more. You know, they, I think it's definitely been a struggle for small businesses, you know, in the past mm-hmm. year, even if mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of overhead, which I work from my home and, you know, we do print on demand. So I don't have a warehouse I have to pay for or anything, but right. Um, it's still, I feel like it affects most businesses, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here too. I mean, we're still on lockdown here. Like yeah. you can't, we can get groceries, but you can't go to dinner or we can't go to any of our sports or mm-hmm. there's no gym in the schools, nothing like that. Yeah. We're going to watch Next. the Super Bowl this weekend. Maybe. We're not really sports people in my house. We aren't, but. Either. We aren't <laughs> either, but I really think we will just to have something to do, you know? Right. Yeah. And you know, it almost will give our world a sense of community as well. Yeah. As that little giant thing. Or, a bunch of snacks. So that's, that sounds like fun. Super Bowl snacks are always yummy, aren't they? Exactly. Right. So I'm kind of looking forward to that, but I agree. We're not sports people either. Like I did, I just figured out who was actually in it. So. <laughs> I still don't know. So if you tell me that I'll feel like I'm highly educated about who's playing. I'm afraid to say in case I'm wrong. (laughs) I won't hold you to it. You don't have to say. I have no idea either, Tamara. Well, this has been 
Very nice. It has been. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. She has been in heavy animal rescue for over 13 years. And when I say heavy, I mean heavy, like heavy on her heart, heavy on the people that are involved. And she says some dogs need us and we just can't get there. Check out her animal rescue series written by her and also some of them are even illustrated by Tamara. If you want to help in this world of animal rescue, first spade your pets. Don't you remember years ago on with Bob Barker and he always said spade your pets. Choose to adopt or rescue instead of going to a breeder. Donate when you can. Maybe it's even as a bookkeeper or maybe it's a graphic designer. Maybe it's your time and not money if you can't donate financially. Foster one animal a year and help carry this load. How is the coronavirus affecting Tamira's world? It impacts all smaller companies and big ones too. Have you read more this year? We discuss slaughterhouses and choosing to eat meat one day less a week. Did you know that they kidnap pigeons from New York City and bring them in droves to Pennsylvania for pigeon shoots? What's next for Who Chains You and Tamira? Check out their blog and all of their socials. Links are in my show notes. Tamira has saved over 3,000 dogs and counting. Animals fighting for their own freedoms. In closing, as mentioned at the top of the show, we recorded this Super Bowl weekend, 2021, and we are still in the coronavirus state and condition. And as the editing for this show, we are again in lockdown here in Alberta. You know, the show has given me this particular episode just some better perspective and awareness on animal rescues, animal cruelty, and the heartache that humans go through to help make a difference. Like Tamara says, if we continue to stir the pot and share knowledge, we can help little by little, one little or big creature at a time. We rescued our cat Tig 20 years ago, and yes, cats can live a long time. So please commit to your animals when you decide to adopt. There's this whole wave of COVID animals and lack of availability, but please check the Humane Society in your area first, before a breeder. There's likely a pet that was loved and now left behind because someone may have lost their job or had a baby or just can no longer put the effort in to taking care of their furry friend or whatever kind of friend that animal may be. There's links to Tamira and her publication, Who Chains You, in my show notes. So please click through to her sites. Maybe buy a book while you're there and support a great cause and a great indie business. As we get closer to the end of the season, we have only a few shows left. 
and then plans for what's to come will be revealed. I'm also looking for a co-host. If you're interested, reach out to me. Next episode, we're speaking with a friend of mine, Anna Bezzolino. She's a friend through the quilting community who I've known for many years. She's funny and smart, has a great accent, and she's had many pieces, many quilting pieces judged and juried all over the world. So that's coming up next. Thank you for listening to the show today. I'm Valerie Moss in Studio 17. Thanks for listening today. Please stay subscribed. Please keep in touch and share my show with your friends, family, and colleagues. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest. It's growing and building, and I love sharing and learning from you guys. Email or text me at my email address, Valerie at ValerieMoss.ca, and share your ideas and your comments about my show. My new show music is called Girl, and I love it. It's by Text Me Records, Leviathan. Intro and outro is recorded by London Moss. Cover art and production is by me, Valerie Moss. Thanks for listening. Visit ValerieMoss.ca for more information.